At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Good morning. It's so great to have you. My name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here at the Lake Orion campus, and it is great just to have you here together to worship with us uh, as we gather to worship the name of Jesus. And uh, I hope you had a great week last week. And I hope that, uh, man, you had a great time with your family celebrating Thanksgiving. It was great for me to see uh, many people. Uh, I asked last week for you to post um, anything that you were thankful for. Tag me in it, tag Woodside in it. And it was fantastic to see uh, everybody's uh, thankfulness and what they're thankful for in their unique season, where they're at in life, all that different stuff. So love seeing that. And man, we have much to be thankful for. Hopefully had time to set aside just to um, just be reminded of what we have and how much we have to be thankful for. Um, well, if you're new here, I just want to say before we open up the word, uh, thanks for being here. If you're new, you're welcome. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. We've had a lot of visitors over the last number of months. So I just want to say hello and thank you for being here. If you are new, we'd love to connect with you um, as you came in. Uh, you might have received a bulletin. You can fill out a card there, or you can just text connect, text connect to 248-710-0710, and we'd love to connect with you that way. If you have prayer requests or whatever, again, we'd love to connect with you. But if you're new, um, and you're our guest, and we're so thankful we were, you're here with us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again. And I would love to meet you. If you're new, come see me. I'd love to connect with you as uh, the pastor here and see how I can't uh, bless you or get you connected or just meet and put a face to a name. Cool? Well, let's pray before we open up God's Word, and uh, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 9 this morning, and uh, I want to pray for us real quick before we open up the Word of God, and um, just ask God to illuminate the Word to our hearts and our minds, and uh, we will start there. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we have just to uh, gather together, to worship, uh, to celebrate who you are, and um, God, we look forward uh, to you speaking to us now in this moment. We're expectant, Lord. We're expectant for you to speak to us in this moment. Not because of anything I've prepared or uh, any words specifically, but because of who you are, God, and because of your word that is alive and it speaks to us individually by the power of your spirit. So God, would you do that? And God, we look forward to seeing what you'll do in the next coming weeks as we celebrate Christmas in this season. Be with us now as we open up your word. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, if you want to look in Luke chapter 9 this morning, uh, we're going to be starting a new series today called Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavished. And even in the title of our series, Gift Wrapped, they alludes to the central piece of our Christmas celebrations or our experience in the wrapping of Christmas presents and the unwrapping of them, should I say, even on Christmas Day. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about why in the world we wrap presents? Like, why do we put wrapping paper around a present that we're going to give to someone and watch them rip it off? I mean, guys, if we think about it many times, in my experience, we're not very good at wrapping presents. I do kind of a botched job, 
and uh, I kind of think it's unnecessary in general. My wife, though, on the other hand, does a beautiful job where the present is cleanly wrapped. There's no seams. There's no tape. There's a bow. It's beautiful. And when I do it, it just kind of looks like I started and just rolled it as much as possible and got to an end result where this is, this is what the end is. And as long as I can't tell what it is, I'm all good. Any other men out there feel the same way I do? Amen. Yeah, me and that guy back there. It's awesome. Um, Because I struggle with why in the world should I go through all the trouble of wrapping a present, putting paper and tape and bow and all the stuff pretty on there, just to watch the recipient of that gift shred it? Right? Now I get it. There has to be some beauty in life. It can't just be functional, devoid of beauty. But it's interesting. When you think about why we wrap presents or gifts, I don't think it's just because of beauty. It's just not just about making them look pretty. I think there's something mysterious also about wrapping gifts. We don't know what's inside. I mean, one of the great things about being a young kid is grabbing them and shaking them. Anybody else out there? Even still now as an adult, you shake them. You're like, hey, I wonder what's in here. I'm trying to figure it out. There's a mystery about what is wrapped up in that gift. And man, it's almost a a, a mystery in the giver and also in the recipient. There's a, a certain amount of joy in the mystery as the giver gives the gift, as they watch it unfold and unwrap. And and there's a mystery about the person who receives the gift that's unwrapping it and seeing what that person got for them. And man, isn't it great? This is a whole second note. But one of the great things about Christmas is watching people's faces when they open. Like whether they truly liked it. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, awesome. This is exactly what I wanted, honey. Another thermos. This is fantastic. Right? There's a mystery though about it as it's unraveling before you. And it's quite fun to experience. Well, it's interesting because we're talking about that even in what we're going to be looking at the number next over the next number of weeks. And when you look at Christianity, Christians often say that we have the greatest gift that God has ever given to the world in Christ Jesus, right? Anybody else? Yeah? We have the greatest gift that's ever been experienced in Christ. And and we talk about that all the time. And and it's not like uh, the gift that God gave us, it comes in special wrapping. It's not like the gifts oftentimes I give where they're basically wrapped and if the cardboard's showing, it's fine as long as you can't see the label. It's, it's totally fine. But no, God gave us this amazing gift that is wrapped perfectly in special wrapping, which is in the wrap of Scripture and the mystery is in the Scripture and the history of God's dealings throughout mankind. So that when I open up the Word of God, there's this amazing mystery of unwrapping and unraveling the beauty of the Word of God where I, at the end, get the beautiful picture and the mystery revealed, which is Christ Jesus. And throughout all of it, man, it's my job to unravel the layers of wrapping and beauty as I dive deeper and and more of the mystery of Christ is revealed throughout Scripture. My job to unravel it, reveal it, and then put it back, put it together, almost like your kids when they get Legos, they get this beautiful thing, they dump it on the ground, and then you, it doesn't look like anything, but when you begin to put it back together, there's something beautiful and amazing revealed. And we see that in the text of Scripture as it's all revealing and pointing to Christ. So we're going to be looking at this. 
over the next number of weeks, looking at the different covenants that God has made throughout the Old Testament, which find their, 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 their anchor, they find their revelation, they find their mystery revealed in Jesus. And so, man, hopefully this next number of weeks, you're going to grow in your understanding of the Old Testament. You're going to see how the Bible is not just some scattered group of books that don't make sense together, but actually they're all pointing and directing and they're casting a, an amazing story throughout Scripture. You're going to grow in your, hopefully, in your faith, in the character and the faithfulness of God, that when God says he's going to do something, he does it. As we look at many different covenants, we're going to look at the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah, the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant with Abram, or Abraham, the covenant with Israel, and then the covenant with David, and then finally landed on the new covenant in the New Testament. And I just want to give you real quick, I think there's only a few left, but I'm always trying to think of good resources. During my 30-minute sermon, if I stretch it out, 35, um, I don't have all the time to go into all the ins and outs of each one of these covenants. So, man, I'd love, if you want to, you can just, if we, you can put that in, it's called Covenant. It's by uh, Tom Schreiner. It's one of my, my seminary professors. Amazing book, just, just recently was published. It was pivotal for me in the series. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, I mean, the thing is only like, um, I think like 100 pages, so totally uh, accessible, easy read, great, but you can go a little bit deeper each week with the covenants and see how they're not directing us and pointing us to find our sense in Christ. And so you can find one of those downstairs at the, um, the Connect desk, and if they don't have any left, they can at least show you where you can grab it on Amazon if you want to dive in a little bit deeper each week because we only have so much time. So I want to ask you a question as we look to uh, Genesis 9. Have you ever had the impulse or wanted to have a fresh start? I think I know the answer to this question, maybe because it's 2020. <laughs> have you ever thought about, man, I would great to have a clean slate, a new beginning? Because I think so many people, maybe even in this time in 2020, man, they're marking down the days until they can say it's 2021. Like we survived. An international pandemic, we're still here. A season of uh, a presidential election, we're still here. We survived the murder hornets. We're still here. We're looking forward to 2021, a fresh start, a new beginning. And oftentimes people are, are looking for that in life, whether that's men. Uh, some things have gone bad in their own life or they're just looking at the world around them and they simply want to start over and say, man, it's 2021. Hopefully this year will be better. And I say that lightly because some people might have had a great year, honestly, and they might not have experienced things in the ways that other people have, but generally, oftentimes, we're looking for a do-over, a start-over in life. Well, when we look at our text today, in the covenant with Noah, this is maybe the greatest example, or the clearest example in history of a new beginning, that God kind of restarts in the events following the flood. And so it's going to be pretty practical today. Our three points are just going to walk through this covenant, and I have a little bit of a challenge for you at the end. And so we see the first part is the covenant recipients in the first couple of verses. If you read with me in chapter uh, 9, verse 8 and 10, Genesis 9, verse 8 says this, the gods, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you. As many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. And so these are the, the, the recipients of this covenant that God is making with Noah. Now before, to get this, to understand this, we kind of have to go back a little bit to Genesis chapter 6 and get a quick review and remember the thoughts of 
the flood. Now, I was, I thought about it, uh, to get out the flannel graph. I thought that'd be great if you're old school, man, you grew up in Sunday school like I did, and then the flannel graph, and the flood and the flannel graph would have been fantastic, but I, um, I didn't. But if you remember the story, even if you haven't been around church long, you remember the story of why God flooded the world was because of wickedness. That man, uh, the earth had become so bad and so overwhelmingly wicked that God determined to bring judgment on the whole earth. And so he brought water from below and above, and he was going to flood the the, the world. And he was done, but he wasn't done with humanity. I mean, he wasn't done with humanity. He was determined that, that, that... Humanity wouldn't be marked by sin, but rather by God's grace. And so he chose Noah and his family to get on a boat with some animals. Now, I want to clear up a few things because I think maybe the way I learned a little bit often was that Noah was this perfect human being walking through the earth, and everybody else was evil, and Noah was kind of like this floating angel that walked with God. Oh, he's just perfect. God's like, clearly. Uh, you're the choice. Now, Noah was a man that walked with God, and he knew that he was sinful and broken, and he had a relationship with God. Yes, all of that. But I just want us to be clear. If you read our passage directly after the covenant with God is made, Noah gets drunk and naked. So I don't think he was the most amazing. He, he, as the scripture said, found grace in the eyes of God, favor in the eyes of God, much like we all find grace in the eyes of God through God's grace and mercy with each one of us. And so God sends the rain in huge proportions. And Noah brings all of his family and his animals. And I, I got to say, it took a lot of trust from Noah. Never before has God brought this much water in the earth. And Noah's building this huge ark. And I mean, people are laughing at him. You got to imagine, like, people are like, what are you doing? So it took a ton of trust on his part. Then the rain came. Noah obeyed. The floods come. And I want, I want us to just sit in this for a moment. But... The scripture says that all life perished. Now again, my flannel graph growing up, I know we're not going to teach in kids ministry and be super graphic, but I just want us to understand the weight of that. All life perished. Not some, but every life, every human, every animal, perished on the earth. And I think what's abundantly clear from the text, and this isn't what I'm going to hang out for, but I want us to understand this from this text, and it's throughout all of Scripture, that God hates sin. God hates sin. So much so that God judged the entire world because of their sin. And I'll get to the good news at the end of the sermon, but I just want us to understand the weight of this. This isn't something we just pass over, like, yeah, the flood, Noah was saved, hurrah! The rest of humanity perished under the weight of God's judgment because of their sin. Because God hates sin. And that should be just a side uh, point for us to, to take and acknowledge and understand as we go into the next year, no matter what we're wrestling with in life, that God is not someone who's like, it's not a big deal, your sin, your pet thing, just keep it, it's all good. No, God hates it. It's an offense to him. And imagine for Noah for a moment coming out of this traumatic experience when all of the world is judged and he comes out, imagine the uncertainty, the questions that he had and, and how, how he would have come out of uh, the ark, thinking, man, I got to build this whole thing over again. I got to start over. And, and the weight of that, like, man, I'm the guy here. 
right? And I know we've experienced some stuff with what's been going on in the world around us. Some of the things that we've been experiencing have been upended, but most things have been somewhat normal. We've had some you know, um, disruptions and some things that haven't gone exactly the way they should, but imagine what he's coming through, coming out of the ark a year later, and everything is gone. Everything. And Noah's guy is God's guy, his family, to rebuild So he needs some guidance and some assurance from God, and God gives it to him. In Genesis 9, God talks to Noah about Noah and his offspring, what's going to happen. He tells him, like he told Adam and Eve, does this sound familiar? This is what he told Noah. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in 9.1. In Genesis 9.7, he says again, be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth. And so God is telling Noah exactly what he told Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply. Now, Noah here... um, now knows God's intention is to replenish the earth. And what's, I, what's amazing, I love about this, is God tells me he has rule over all the beasts of the earth and, and that he will have not only green plants for food, but he's also going to have steak. That's an amen. Great spot for an amen right there. Right? Like, that the, all of it will be food for him. So now it's not just plants, but it's burgers as well, and he's moving forward. Now God talks to Noah about God. He just got done talking to Noah about Noah, but now he's going to talk to Noah about God. And he gives Noah some assurance and lets Noah know, man, you can trust me. And his answer he gives them is a covenant. I'm going to establish a covenant with you. So much so, he says it in our text seven different times about this covenant that he's going to establish with Noah. So the question must be is, what's a covenant? You ever thought about that? Like, what is a covenant, biblically? Well, when you look at it, a covenant is this, a solemn commitment of oneself to undertake an obligation. A solemn commitment of oneself to undertake a commitment. It's a promise voluntarily turned into an obligation. A promise, so it's more than just a promise, it's a promise voluntarily made into an obligation. So it's not just a promise, right? Because my kids, I'll promise them things sometimes, right? And you hope to be able to fulfill that for them, Sometimes you're able to, but sometimes you're not. Like, so for instance, this last weekend I'm in Florida, and my kids, we told them generally, yeah, we can go putt-putt. So they took it as a promise. We go putt-putting this week. And when the end of the week came, we did not go putt-putting. It was, ah, you promised. You promised we could go putt-putting. This is the worst vacation ever. We went to Disney World, but we didn't go putt-putting. Right? Because they made a promise into an obligation, right? The promise I made to my children turns now into an obligation. The difference is, is that that is not a covenant. A covenant is I made the promise and I turn it into an obligation. Like my covenant and marriage. When you get married, you're entering into a covenant. And each spouse pledges himself or herself to a lifelong relationship of fidelity. He says, of my own volition, I'm obligating myself to you for the rest of my life. It's not a contract. Maybe in business world, some of you have experienced a contract. That's not a covenant, right? A contract is is legally binding, but a covenant is spiritually binding, right? A contract can be broken, but a covenant is for life. A contract is an exchange of one thing for another, but a covenant is giving of oneself to another. Very different. 
So God establishes this covenant with Noah, which means this is something that God will not go back on. Three times he says this is a covenant. God is not going to turn his back on what he said to him. And who are the recipients? Who does he establish it with? In verses 8 and 9, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I am establishing my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark. It is for the beast of every beast of the earth. So the covenant was for Noah and his children and his offspring. So hello, that's us. Amen. There were recipients of this covenant. Now, if you move on in verse 11, we see the covenant promise. What is it? Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again, I always talk about this, it's funny, uh, joking around, but we often wonder like, what is the Hebrew word for never again? It's just never again, like it's not going to happen again, ever. Shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So, so what's the, the covenantal promise made to Noah and his offspring and all the animals together? A promise that God is never going to destroy the earth again? and all the life on the earth with the flood. It's amazing. I'm pretty straightforward. But God is saying here, there's a sense of stability here that he's giving to Noah, that, man, I'm giving you this. God is trustworthy, uh, and I love life, and I'm protecting life from here on out. I'm never going to flood the earth again. Now, it's interesting. Uh, When you read um, ancient stories, there's in almost most... uh, old ancient origin stories, there is, from around the world, there is some form of the flood, the story there. Now, it gets a little different, a little hairy in other situations, right? In ancient Near East cultures, they change it a little bit. They would say the reason for the flood was overpopulation. So the gods, not God, but the gods flooded the earth because of overpopulation. There's too many people, so we're going to hit a reset, and we're going to start with Noah, so we're going to flood the whole earth. Now, that's quite different, strikingly different, than the biblical story that we know. No, God said the problem wasn't too many people. The problem was there was too much evil. There was too much sin. That the sin of the people was such an offense to God that God poured out his wrath on his people, uh, on the people. So I know it's not a favorable thing in today's day and age to talk about the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and all of that, but that's in the word of God. If we want to push that away, that's fine, but it's not biblical. Because God was so offended by all of the sin that he poured out his wrath on the world. And yet, after the following, the, the following the flood, God makes a covenant to never do it again in his grace. I will never do this again while the earth remains. This is what's going to happen. And not only that, I love this, it's just there. He says in verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That even God says there's going to be some stability from millennium to millennium, rhythms that are going to happen. There's going to be seed time and harvest. There's going to be day and night. There's going to be cold and there's going to be warm. You can bank on it. This is going to be the case. And then lastly, if you look, as it continues in verse 12 through 17, we've seen, man, this is the covenant recipients, Noah and the family, essentially all of us as well. The covenant promise is that he's never going to flood the earth again. Now we get to the final climactic part of the text. Finally, the covenant sign in verse 12. The text maybe we know the most about is the rainbow in the sky. And God said in verse 12, this is the sign 
This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. So we're in there. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So everything in the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. That's God. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The rainbow. It's a sign of a covenant that God established with the world. Over the last 12 years, 14 years, excuse me, almost 14 years, over the last almost 14 years, I've worn this ring as a sign, with the exception of sometimes because I've lost about four of them. This is like my fifth one. I've worn this ring as a sign of the covenant that I entered into with my spouse, Sarah, my wife. It's a sign. It's a, it's a remembering for me as a sign, a symbol of the covenant that stands between us. And God does this often throughout Scripture, right? With Abraham, it, it, the sign was circumcision. With, with, with the people of Israel, the symbol was the Sabbath. With, with, with Jesus, we do this once a month on the first Sunday. We're remembering the sign is, is as we take communion with one another. It's a remembrance of the covenant we have now in his blood and with Noah... It was the rainbow in the sky. When I see the bow in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between ye and you. Now, it's interesting. The Hebrew word for remember, it it does not entail the concept of forgetting. There's no forgetting a part of this word, especially when it's ascribed to God. So it's not as if God sees it in the sky and be like, oh yeah, I forgot. I'm not supposed to strike everybody dead. I was real close today. If it wasn't for that rainbow... Man, it would have been a bad one. The same way in which it's not for me. It's not as if I forget. I wake up one morning and I forgot I was married to my wife, Sarah. Right? It's not like I look down and be like, oh yeah, I forgot. I'm, I'm married. No, it's a sign of remembrance for me as I walk through life of the covenant. It's a reminding as if it's not telling me something I forget. It's rather so that when God sees it, God's obligation to never restore the earth again is ever present with him. The idea of remembering here is more to act upon a previous commitment to a covenant partner. So just like you wearing a ring, it's a call and a remembrance to act upon a previous covenant that you entered in with a covenant partner. And it's there not to remind God not to destroy the earth. It's more... A sign for God, yes, every time the rain meets the clouds and the sky and you see a rainbow, it's not just a remembrance for God. I'll tell you this, it's a remembrance for us of the faithfulness of God, that God keeps his promise even to this day as we recall the beautiful covenant and promises of God. 
But here's what I want to leave you with today. You may be like, that's fantastic, Jim. Love that. But here's what I want to leave you with. Why did the flood come to the earth? Why did God flood the whole earth? Because of the wickedness of humanity. Because of the broken sinfulness of humanity. Uh, look in, in Genesis again with me in 6.5, chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, can I ask you a question? After the flood, did the earth get a fresh start? They got a fresh start, but did they start where, where they were like, man, humanity is good now. Nobody's sinning. Man, we just like, we eradicated sin. It's all good. Man, it's a complete restart. We're going to be great. No. In fact, just a few short chapters later in chapter 9, you see Noah and his sons, along with their offspring, offspring uh, perpetuating the sin of their forefathers, culminating in the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 of Genesis, where they think they're so cool that they can reach God, and God separates all of the people. I mean, it was only a couple chapters it took them to get there. So the restart wasn't like, man, now sin is gone. Why did God not bring another flood in chapter 11? Because of God's covenant with his people. Not because people changed, not because people got better, not because people stopped sinning, not because people pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and said, man, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. No, because of the covenantal promise of God. I mean, listen, in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21, this is moments after Noah just made a burnt offering to get off the ship. They're there. He makes a sacrifice to the Lord. It says this in verse 21 of chapter 8. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of their sacrifice, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. That's, that's going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Because of, excuse me, curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Do you see that? Did you notice what, what he said there? Before that, in chapter 6 and verse 5, it was that every intention of the thought of man was wicked continually. And then after, in chapter 8 and verse 21, he says that the intention of man's heart was evil from his youth. It was still the same. Humanity didn't change. They were still in need of something outside of themselves. Their disposition didn't change. They were still sinful. And the evil in the human heart was the reason for God's judgment in the flood. But listen to this. And then the evil in the human heart was the reason for God's mercy after the flood. So the evil that man did and lives in and the sin that we live in was the reason for the flood, the judgment in the flood. But after the flood, it was the reason for the mercy and the grace of God that we get to experience every single day. There was no new beginning in the flood. No, actually, there was a continuing of murder and hate and turning away from God. But God began to make covenants, a series of covenants with his creation so that there would be a new beginning, pointing to a new beginning. And this is what we're here to celebrate. That's why we celebrate at Christmas. The new beginning is found in Christ alone. The new beginning is found in Christ alone. And it's painted throughout Scripture. 
We can't change the environment enough. We can't change nature enough. We can't change history enough, produce a new race. People have tried over the years, politically, with military, and philosophically, with leaders, to try to advance a new people or create a new world of better people, but it's all failed miserably because sinful people will only create new sinful conditions. And it's pointing to the fact, man, of a great Christ, a great Savior that would come to rescue and redeem the world, right? I don't know if you read, um, if you don't, if you have children, one of my favorite things to read with my kids is the Jesus Storybook Bible, always pointing to Christ in the gospel. I want to read a section for you. I want to teach my whole sermon out of this text from the Jesus Storybook Bible because I think it's so beautifully well-written. I want to read you a section that I think gets to what I'm getting at here. It says this in the Jesus Storybook Bible on this text. Finally, the rain stopped. The sun came out and Noah threw open all the windows. Hooray, everyone shouted. Noah sent his dove to explore. And it wasn't long before she brought back a fresh olive leaf. Everyone knew exactly what that meant. She had found a tree, the land, the water was going down. And at last the boat landed quite suddenly on the top of a great mountain. As soon as it was safe, God said, come, oh, God said, out you come. And so they did. Everyone skipping and dancing unto dry land. And the first thing Noah's, uh, Noah's family did was to thank God for rescuing them just as he had promised. And the first thing God did was to make another promise. I won't ever destroy the world again. And like a warrior who puts away his bow and arrow at the end of a great battle, God said, see, I have hung my bow in the clouds. And there in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan, a plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it, a plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once again, but not on his people or his world. No, God's war bow was now pointing down, was not pointing down to his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. You see, the beauty is that people didn't get a fresh start, a new start, a sinless start after the flood. No, it was still there. And God's judgment will still come one day for sin. But he said, I covenant not to flood the entire earth. But the beauty of the gospel is, is that now in Christ Jesus, that judgment doesn't come down on me. That judgment already came down in Christ, on Christ, on the cross. And now because of that, I can walk in his grace. And there's more people than just a, uh, Noah now that have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, you have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the judgment of God yeah, one day, it is coming again. And God's going to come back, and he's going to judge the world. Man, if you don't know Jesus here today, you've never placed your faith and your trust all in with God, all in with what Christ has done on the cross. One day, we will stand before God in judgment. 
But the beauty of the gospel is that all covenants point to Christ and the fulfillment of them in Christ. That man, now I can stand and I don't have to be worried about the judgment of God because God in his justice put all of his wrath, rather not out on all of humanity, but in his own son. And now because of that, I can walk in freedom and in grace, not sinning just because I want to, but actually walking in beauty of relationship with God and experiencing the grace of God with him because the new beginning is not found in something or person or 2021. No, the new beginning is only found in Christ. And we can long, as many people are, can't wait for 2020 to be over. Long for a fresh start. But the new beginning you desperately need, we desperately need, is a spiritual, internal new beginning of the heart if you don't know Christ today. And man, may all of us in this room, even as we enter into the Christmas season, knowing that all of these things culminate in the coming of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. You're going to hear me say that a lot over the next four weeks, is that as we look at these covenants, man, they find their fulfillment in the fact that God promised, and he's, the starting of that promise being fulfilled is that Christ came in human flesh on Christmas morning, what we celebrate at Christmas time. And there is no better season for us to evaluate where we are with Jesus than in the season of Christmas together. That all of my new beginnings are found in Christ Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.